I want to say hi to those of you who are watching online. I uh, don't want to forget you. We, those of you who have not been able to be with us over the last many few months, we miss you. And hopefully soon you'll get to join us live in person. And those of you who are here, we just say welcome. So good to see you guys here at New Life Church on this Sunday morning. Uh, the second week in November. Can you believe it's November and it's 70 degrees outside? Uh, welcome to the South, especially Tennessee. All four seasons in one week. Uh, it's amazing. Um, and our allergies say amen to that. <laughs> Certainly feel that. Well, listen, let me invite you uh, to open up into the New Testament. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read a, a proverb, one of our... Uh, springboard scriptures for this series. If you're just catching up with us, uh, we started a brand new sermon series last week called Habits. And uh, so we're looking at three habits that, um, that if practice can lead to some big change, it's, it's big things in our life, and, and that's what we're exploring. Um, and let me, let me just read the, uh, the springboard scripture. It's, it's Proverbs 5, verse 21 out of the Passion Translation, and it it says this, For God sees everything you do. How about that? Sees everything we do. And His eyes are wide open as He observes every single habit we have. We all have habits. We have good habits, we have some bad habits, we have some indifferent habits, but nonetheless, we all have habits in our life. Now, here's what a habit is. Habit is an acquired behavior pattern that is followed, and it becomes a strong disposition in our life. Good habit, bad habit, it's an acquired behavior pattern. In other words, we are not born with habits. Habits are learned and habits are developed over time. Now, bad habits are hard to get rid of and good habits are hard to create, but if we can swap it and get the good habits to be working in our life and bad habits to diminish in our life, then things can change. Now, if you weren't here last week, I I encourage you to go back and catch the beginning of this series Because we talked about the first habit, and that was the habit of living by faith. The habit of living by faith. Um, And in this this series, I'm not really zeroing in on certain habits that you might think of. Habit of praying, the habit of reading your Bible, the habit of of maybe decent eating, or, or less worrying, or whatever. Because all of those will fall into... One of these three habits that we're approaching and that we're getting to, okay? And so the habit of living by faith was last week. Today, we're going to look at the habit of living by the Spirit. The habit of living by the Spirit. The thing about habits is habits eventually become our outcome. What we acquire in our behavior pattern and our belief system and what we practice and what becomes actively involved in our life and seen leads to the outcome of our life. Habits lead to outcomes. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, and we're going to break down um, several verses here, and we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to walk through the first uh, part of Romans chapter 8. Living by the Spirit. Let's, let's start with this. Let's start with, with the first 
uh, few verses. It says this. Paul writes, has wrote Romans. He says this. So, now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You don't have to raise your hand, but does anybody ever struggle with feeling condemned? And he says, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Verse 2, and because you belong to Him, says the power of the life-giving Spirit, His Spirit, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Verse 3, the law of Moses was unable to save us, Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So, God did what the law could not do. And that is, He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Verse 4, He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Here it is. Who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit, or also those who live by the Spirit. And so in order to be able to live by the Spirit of God, You have to enter into that spirit, which is to be born again. And why is that so imperative? Why is that so important? Because of what His Spirit is capable of accomplishing in our life. What you and I can't do, what the law was unable to do and still unable to do, Jesus did by dying and offering His life as the sacrifice, which is the payment for our sins, and the fulfillment of all the law. In Jesus, the entire law is fulfilled. And so, His Spirit frees us from the power of sin that leads to death. The wages of sin is death. Sin leads to death. Separation, removal from a life with God, eternity, He removes then also all the condemnation, all the shame, all the guilt, all the regret, all of those things by His death, by His Spirit in our life. Now here's the thing, following religious law will not and cannot save us and make us right with God. It will only try to make us feel good about ourselves. But then you're going to find yourself in a continual cycle of always letting yourself down because... We cannot, there, we, we, no, we cannot cross all of our religious T's or dot all of our religious I's enough, good enough, perfect enough for us to be in the right standing with God. All we can do is what we talked about last week is to have faith, to trust in God for that. And Paul says, look, condemnation goes out the window. Shame's taken off of your life. Regret is taken off of your life. All these things are removed from your life. Sin's power from, is taken from you when you believe in God and when you belong to Jesus Christ and you have His Spirit then at operation in you. One must have an authentic face-to-face encounter with God, a heaven coming to the heart of man on earth, a 
a, a true spirit coming into our life experience. And friends, when, when you, as you know, and when you know that, you have that kind of engagement, that kind of encounter, that kind of experience with the Lord and His, and His presence and His love and His might and His power flood your life. That is what makes the difference. Not trying to keep up with certain good deeds, but living, living by the Spirit of God. It's so freeing. I wish I could stand before you and say, I know the complete, full freedom of living by the Spirit of God. I don't. No one has lived the fullness of it. Paul even expressed late in his life, I haven't arrived, I haven't achieved it, I haven't quite gained it, but through life and through faith and through journeying with the Lord, you begin to experience more and more and more of the freedom of the Spirit in your life. And I, and I can tell you this, on those days and on those moments and on those seasons of life when you are just, it's firing at all cylinders and the Spirit of the Lord is alive and well and moving and leading and guiding every aspect of our life, it's such a freeing and peaceful experience. But yet we want to control because we think we still know what we need and so we get back in the driver's seat and we take the will and we start to guide and we start to lead and we start to direct and then we find ourselves wrapped up in that. Then we find ourselves not having as much peace, not as much love, greater frustration and all of those other things that can come with that. And so the rest of this part of this letter that we're going to look at, we're going to look at four outcomes of those who live by the Spirit. Okay, you guys want to journey with me through this? Four outcomes of those who will live by the Spirit. Verses 5 through 8, let's look at that. Those who live by the Spirit, number one is they are to think about the things that please the Spirit. Not, no hands raised, but how many times are we not thinking about what pleases the Spirit? But let's look at that. Those who live by the Spirit are to think about the things that please the Spirit. Verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God, it never did obey God's laws, and it never will, Paul says. Verse 8, that's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature, of their sinful nature, can never please God. Those who live by the Spirit are to think about the things that please the Spirit. Paul wrote another letter to the Philippians, Philippians 4. And here's what he said, verse 8. He said, now, dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on. And he goes on, and he's going to expound on that. Fix your thoughts on. Now, in the South, we like to say fixing. And it doesn't mean fixing something to eat. It can. But we like to say, I'm, I'm fixing to go to the store. Right? I know, right? We're bad about that. I, I'm bad about that. I can't put you in my boat. But I'm fixing to go to bed. 
<laughs> I, I, I'm fixing to, to go whatever, right? And, and, but what, what, what are we getting at? What are we trying to say? We ha- we're saying we have made our mind up going to do what it is I'm saying I'm going to do. Paul says, fix, make up your mind. Fix your thoughts on what? On this, on what is true. On what is honorable, on what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. To do this means we have to make ourselves go there. Then he says in verse 9 keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Keep putting yourself to think on things that are true, that are right, that are pure. Thoughts that are honorable, things that are lovely, things that are admirable, things that are worthy, things that are right, things that are above and not beneath. Make yourself think those things. How do we make ourselves think those things? How do we get ourselves trained in the habit of thinking on the things that please God? When we live by the Spirit, but what is... What does the Spirit want to do in order to get us to think on things that please God? The Spirit always wants to connect us with God. The Spirit of God always wants to connect our heart with the heart of God. Always. So what does he do? Paul talks a little bit about this back up in Philippians 4 verse 6 just before this. Paul, again, back in chapter 8 of Romans, said if you live by the Spirit, you can think on the things that will please the Spirit. And if you do that, then it will lead to life and it will lead to peace. And then Paul expresses a little more here. Philippians 4, 6, he says, Don't worry about anything. And if anybody could worry, Paul could worry. Paul had a resume that he had, he had, he had racked up. He could worry if he wanted to worry. You can read all about his his trials and his tribulations, the dude went through it. But here he is saying, hey, don't worry about anything. He had, he had gone through, through having more than enough to eat to having not that much to eat, but yet he said, I found contentment when I had and found contentment when I didn't. Oh, can I just live like that? But don't worry about anything. Instead, he says, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. And then, then He said, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And His peace will guard your hearts. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. When we pray, what we're doing is we are exchanging all of our fears and all of our worries and all of our doubts and all of our needs for the provision that God can bring, for the protection God can bring, for the peace that God can bring, for His presence that He can bring in our life. 
So when we live by the Spirit, the Spirit wants to connect us with God, and the way the Spirit connects us with God is for a believer to pray to God, and when we pray to God, we exchange all this stuff we are worried about and have on our shoulders and carry in our life and that we're trying to deal with and sludge through and make our way through, and we exchange all that for all that God wants to give us. And it leads to life and peace. Why does it lead to life and peace? Because His Spirit brings us to God. And when we connect with God, all the other heaviness of life fades. And the presence and the peace and the protection and all of God comes into our life fresh and anew. But if you don't live by the Spirit then you're not going to want to connect with God. And when you don't want to connect with God, you won't experience what God can give. Half the time, we just want to sweep our troubles under a rug and forget they exist. But God says, bring me all your cares. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. When we live by the Spirit... We can think about things that please the Spirit. I want to share with you a verse. It's in the Old Testament, Isaiah 8. Isaiah gets this direction at a time when it, well, Israel at the time was divided. It had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and there was civil war and civil unrest and division amongst God's people. Kind of like what the enemy is trying to do today. And here's what the word of the Lord to Isaiah says, and we can take it to heart. It said, the Lord has given me a strong warning to not think like everyone else does. Don't think like everyone else does. We're talking about those who live by the Spirit are able to think about what pleases the Spirit. He says, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who, sh- who, you- who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. So in a modern time life like we're in right now, there are a thousand conspiracy theories out there, and we have access to most of them if we want to look them all up. But what does the Lord say? Don't think like everybody else thinks. Don't call everything a conspiracy and latch onto it. Instead, what you need to do is make the Lord holy in your life. What you need to do is is allow him to be the one to keep you from fear. What you need to do is to make let him be the one you fear because he's the one who will actually keep you safe. And so in a day and time like we're in right now, those who live by the Spirit are able to think about what pleases the Spirit and the thing that will please the Spirit is making God the center of our life. Not living by worry or living by fear or living dominated by by this theory or that theory. Live by God's holy and sovereign and pure and perfect 
love for us. And when we make Him the center, make Him the one we fear, make Him the one we trust, He is the one who will guard, and He is the one who will keep us safe. But here's what happens. If we don't think about what pleases the Spirit, then the opposite takes effect in our life. You're going to live worried. You're going to live fearful. You're going to live doubtful. You're going to live jaded towards other people. You're going to live frustrated. You're going to live doubtful. You're going to live hopeless. All the negative things you can possibly think of when we don't live by the Spirit to think about what pleases the Spirit, the opposite will take effect in our life and it will dominate our life. But the Spirit of God will always bring what is good for us and what is best for us and what is right for us that will lead to life and peace. Not saying that's the easy thing to do because we have to make ourselves. Go to the Lord. We have to make ourselves engage God in order to receive what He has. But here's the thing I've discovered just one little small opening in our heart to the Lord allows and leads to a pretty big harvest of peace in our soul. Doesn't mean you got to have it all figured out. You just got to go to God who has it figured out and trust that He will. Guide, and he will take over. Amen? Verse 9, Romans 8, 9. Those who, are, who live by the Spirit, number two, the outcome is we are made alive to really live. It says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled. I love this, Paul. It's like, look, you have, you, 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 you've been there. You've, you, you know what it's like. But he said, that's not who you are. And church, I want to remind you, that's not who you are. Born-again believer, Christian, Christ follower, disciple, follower of Jesus. <clears throat> Whether you've just been started in the last few minutes or you've been going at it for a long time, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. None of us. You are controlled by the Spirit. I want to remind you, I want to jar you, I want you to understand, you are not controlled by that. You are controlled by by his spirit. He says, if you have the spirit of God living in you, and remember, those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Verse 10, Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Verse 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Did you see that? The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Saint of God, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Child of God, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead... He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Those who live by the Spirit of God are made alive to really live on earth and in eternity forever with Jesus. Here's what Jesus told us back in John 10, 10. 
He says, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, to slaughter, and to destroy. But he says, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. God has promised in Jesus to give us life, in other translations, more abundantly, a fullness, an abundance, to really, truly live. And here's the thing about life. We're not guaranteed a life free of pain, free of sorrow, free of trials, or free of tribulations. We're not guaranteed a life free of issues or a life free of of problems or any of that, no. But in spite of, here's the thing, in spite of the turbulence of life, the Spirit of God in a person will always cause that person to rise up, to go through, and to overcome whatever may happen. The same Spirit, Paul said, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That Spirit in a person, despite the turbulences of life, we all can go through them, we all have, and we will continue to go through turbulences of life, whatever it is. The Spirit of God in a believer will cause that person to rise up and to overcome in victory whatever happens in life. Consider creation. Consider the Spirit of God at work in creation. I know you know the story, but look at the words. Genesis 1-2, the beginning. It said, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was shivering and scared, afraid to do anything. All right, just making sure you're paying attention. The Spirit of God was hovering over all of these things. Verse 3, God was fed up and He quit. No, okay, i got to get the right translation here. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Our life can be kind of like the beginning of this of time with, in, on the heavens and the earth. Our life can kind of be formless sometimes, can feel empty, can feel like darkness is surrounding us and caving in on us. Life can get, that, can get that way sometimes. But what is the Spirit of the Lord doing? It's hovering. His Spirit is hovering over your life. He's aware of your formless position. He's aware of your empty feeling. He's aware of your despair. He's aware of your discouragement. He's aware of your disappointment. He's aware of darkness that's in you right now. He's aware of things that don't look so good in your life right now. But what is he waiting for? He's waiting for God to just speak. And then God speaks and the Spirit moves. And the Spirit can only do what God says to do. And God said, come, lie. Come forth, let there be light, and the 
Spirit created life. The Spirit brought, as the rest of creation, you see the Spirit brought order out of chaos. The Spirit will bring order to your life where it may feel chaotic at times. If you'll just let the Spirit of God hover over you and fill your life and then let God's Word touch you and speak to you, the Spirit can only do what the Father says to do. And the Father says, order from chaos in the Spirit moves and causes things to fall like dominoes and dots to line up and be connected and things to shift in the atmosphere of your life when you didn't see it coming, when you didn't see how it could happen, when you didn't know a thing could take place. God's spirit moves, but you got to stay in his spirit if you want his spirit to work in your life. He'll take your misshaped life right now And he'll bring purpose. He'll take your emptiness and fill it with goodness. He'll take your darkness of days and turn them around with light that will guide you for eternity. The Spirit of God works this way. Friends, but you got to want to walk, live by his Spirit. Consider the experience of King David. David made some bad choices. He was king already. He was probably feeling pretty good about himself, feeling like he was entitled to a lot of things, thought he deserved some some stuff, and he made some bad choices, made some bad decisions, but he also came face to face with it and realized what I've done Who I have become is not who God has designed me to be. And listen to part of his prayer in Psalm 51. I've chosen the message version for this part. He said this, God, soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow white life. Turn me into foot tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Well, and that's exactly what God did. You see, friend, when we come to the Lord and we just turn to Him, even a little, even the slightest, God is able to take that turn And do so much more with it than what you and I have been trying to do for ages. His spirit can shape a fresh start in our heart. Today, if there's anybody here today or watching online and you feel like, man, you have just blown it. You have messed up. You you, you keep making certain types of mistakes and experiencing shortfalls and feel like your life's in a cycle that that's on repeat, that won't shift, that won't change. Why can't I get it together? Why can't this be different in me? God wants you to know if you'll just turn to Him and you'll just look to Him, He will come and His Spirit will shape a Genesis week in the chaos of your life. Because you were made, you were made to really live. Every single one of you made to really live. 
You were made to flourish. You were made to be abundant for the kingdom of God. Your life counts. Your life matters. Who you are, the design of God is on you, and the purpose and the plan that he has for you has not faded. It has not failed. It has not disappeared. God just says, if you'll look it to me and you'll turn to me, my spirit will arise in your life and shine and cast off darkness and Cast off discouragement and cast off other things. If you will just look to me, God says, I will turn the crooked places and make them straight. I'll take the mountains and I'll make them level. I can do that, says the Lord. So anybody here that's feeling hopeless, feeling doubtful, feeling discouraged, man, I can't, God can't even begin to do some good in my life. The lie of the enemy can no longer exist because I call it out today in your life. Hear me, child of God. The enemy, uh, the lie of the enemy is called out and uh, his secret's been told. His secret's been told. You were called to live. You were called to flourish. You were called to blossom. You were called to exceed. You were called to go above and beyond what you ever dreamed of, what you ever thought was possible. And your mistakes and your sins and your trespasses and your grievances and all the other griefs in your heart and in your life, they're never big enough for God to turn them around. He took a great big heavy stone and rolled it away. Jesus came alive. That same spirit that did that is the same spirit that lives today, and that same Spirit of God wants to flourish in your heart. He wants you to live, really live, truly live with your heart and your affection set for Him. Let's see. I got to get done. You guys okay? Try to get through this. Verse 12 and 13. Those who live by the Spirit, number three, are not obligated to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Saying what? Verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. In other words, if you do, it's going to lead to death. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. If we follow the urges of our sinful nature, it's always going to lead to death. It's going to lead to destruction. But if you follow the Spirit and live by the Spirit, it says it leads to life. How is that even possible? How do we do that? How do we get there? Well, Paul wrote another letter to the believers in Galatia, in Galatians 5. Here's how it happens, verse 16. It says, As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. Say, what? Paul's like, yeah, we don't have to do what our flesh tells us to do. Now, the more you feed the carnal side of life, the bigger and the hungrier and the mightier the the carnal side of life gets. But the more we feed the Spirit of God in us, the hungrier and the greater and the mightier the Spirit of God gets. We don't have to white-knuckle ourselves in life. We don't have to have sheer willpower to overcome things. 
we overcome, we conquer, we rise in victory when we yield humbly and surrender fully. A life with God is not a life of trying to please Him by dotting the I's and crossing the T's and white-knuckling it through life, trying to just hold on and try to do everything right. A life with God is lived by yielding and surrender. I know in our heart we want to be better, in our heart we want to be greater, in our heart we want to do better, in our heart we want greater things to be accomplished in us, but it doesn't happen just because of sure willpower. It happens when a heart humbly submits and surrenders to the fullness of God and let the Spirit of God take over in your life. You want to get over a weakness? Surrender. You want to get over a stronghold? Surrender. You want to change things in your past and in, your, in, your, in, your, in the outcomes of your current life? Surrender. Yield to, I love this passion part, Yield freely and fully to the dynamic and power of the Holy Spirit, and you will abandon the cravings of your self-life or your sinful nature. And he goes on to express and expound on some of the parts of our sinful nature. He said, these are the cravings of the self-life. He said, sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, Chasing after things instead of God. Manipulating others. Hatred of those who get in our way. Senseless arguments. Resentment when others are favored. Temper tantrums. Adults, we still throw our own temper tantrums. Angry quarrels. Only thinking of ourselves, being in love with my own opinions, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, that's pretty explanatory, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and he doesn't list everything else, but he says all other similar behaviors. See, that's the outcome of our life. When we follow the sinful nature. And he says it will not lead to the kingdom of God. But, on the other hand, when you yield freely and fully to the, to the dynamic and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, what does he produce? Let's look at that. He produces this. Love. A joy that overflows. Peace that subdues. Patience that endures. Kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, strength of spirit. In verse 25, it says, we must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after Him. The New Living Translation says, follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. In other words, there's not a part of our life that the Spirit of God is not there to help. Not a part of our life that the Spirit of God is not there to help. Think about your life right now. Think about your most intense problem, your issue, your greatest struggle, your greatest setback, your greatest fear, or whatever it is. A person in your path that you just don't like and can't get along with and wish they weren't around, or whatever it might be. 
Whatever's staring at you, think about your life currently. The Spirit of God is there to help you. That we do not have to, we're not obligated as a believer and a follower of Christ with the Spirit of God in us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We're not obligated to follow all the urges of our sinful nature. Yeah, that is absolutely true. We, we don't have to do that. We can live free from strongholds. We can live free from addictions. We can live free from, the, from those types of things in our life. We don't have to gossip just because I, I was raised in a gossiping home. I don't have to hold a fence just because my mother and my grandmother held a fence. I don't have to hate somebody because I was raised with people who hated people. I don't have to belittle somebody just because my boss belittles me. I don't have to manipulate situations to get my way. How about I just let Jesus make a way where there seems to be no way? Now, I know I'm not talking to anybody here, okay? Number four. Wrap this up. Talking about living by the Spirit. The habit of living by the Spirit. This is a development we have to make happen. This is, this is a, something we must put into practice in our life. Number four, those who live by the Spirit are children of God. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. It says, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So don't let the enemy lie to you And tell you, you don't belong. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory, his love, and his power. But if we are to share his glory, his love, and his power, we must also share in his suffering and what he has gone through. Those who live by the Spirit are... Children of God. Now, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, he takes some time and he talks about the Spirit gives gifts to people, the Spirit gives gifts to his, to his body, and those gifts are given so that they can help other people. There's nine different gifts, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, the gift of, to be able to prophesy, to discern, the gift to speak in tongues, and the gift to interpret tongues. Now, I personally believe, and we teach, that this, these gifts are available to all believers who have the Holy Spirit in their life. That any given time, these gifts can, fun, can flow and function in our life. Because in chapter 14, he tells us, Paul says, desire earnestly these spiritual gifts. These gifts that are called to, that help you help other people. Especially the gift to prophesy because that strengthens, that encourages, and that comforts people. 
And with that, I want to share with you in closing a prophetic directive that the Lord gave me about six months ago. I just woke up one morning and and read a verse and, and then I just started writing it down, writing things down as they came to me. And I thought maybe I was going to, you know, share those right around that same time and, and, and never did. The Lord never gave me the release on that until uh, Friday, this past Friday. Um, it's amazing how, how the Spirit will work sometimes. He, he'll put a thought in your head about something and you'll chase the thought and that thought leads to another thought and that thought then becomes the thought He was wanting you to get to but you never would have thought of that thought had He not put the first thought in your head. Did you follow my train of thought to get to that thought? That's how the Spirit will do things sometimes. It's crazy, I know. But He gave me this prophetic directive. It's, it's a little lengthy, so I'm going to ask you to bear with me a minute, as, or a few minutes, as I read what he, what he gave me. It's based on Acts 1, verse 8. It says, You will receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So we are drawn to big things. We like to say we're a part of some big experience. Nothing wrong with that. We like big concerts, big sporting events, big conferences with the best worshiper and preacher. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God established big things called festivals. They represent not only a special occasion, but also a people's special relationship with God. Rightly so, these festivals were looked at like a holy convocation, a gathering of God's people. At these gatherings, they would prepare meals and special sacrifices. They would honor the Lord and remember who God is in their life. They would also enjoy some fellowship with their fellow faith family. Sounds familiar. Today we have festivals every week called church. We have them in special places called conferences. And over the generations, God has blessed the variety of expressions of these holy convocations. There have been big tent and building revivals with the likes of John G. Lake, Smith Wigglesworth, Charles Spurgeon, Oral Roberts, Billy Graham, to now people like Passion, Hillsong, and Bethel Worship Explosions. All of them have been amazing, and the modern ones will continue to be also. The question that we ask, and that is proposed to us today, is what are we supposed to do with all of these expressions and experiences from these festivals and these conferences and these church services? The answer is found in the verse, power to be witnesses for Christ at home, in our city, in our world. We are to be pointing people to Christ with our life. We are to show and tell what we know, what we've seen, what we've heard, and how our life is being changed by Jesus and how He can change others' lives. The big moments, the big experiences are important, necessary. But we tend to get our view on the big thing and not on the most important thing. That's the Holy Spirit of God coming into our life and filling us with the power to be witness, a pointer to Christ with our life. While we are called to make a difference out in the world in many different ways, it first starts at home. While we want to join the big movements, we must first ask the Holy Spirit to change me 
at home. If we've got tension in our marriage, in our home with our families, how can we even think about going out into the world to be a witness for Christ? If we've got personal strongholds in our life that we need freedom from, from, how can we begin to hide that by saying we will go out to showcase something that we don't have ourselves? This doesn't mean we shouldn't try to witness out in life. Truth is, we will not be perfected this side of heaven. We must have a paradigm shift in our approach to witnessing for Christ. I believe the revelation is not about street preachers or sold-out conferences or revival meetings solely. I think it includes the likes of these, but it must include living as witnesses for Christ, as people who are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our homes must be places of sacredness. Our marriages must be a holy matrimony. Our families must be about the ways of the Lord. Our singleness must be pure and wholly devoted to the Lord. Our churches must be rid of segregations. Before we get caught up in winning the world over to Christ, I think what Jesus was pointing us to is to just live a life filled with the power, the ability to be a living witness for Christ in all areas of life. Is your marriage really everything you know Jesus is asking it to be? Is your family really everything it's intended to be in Christ? Are your interpersonal relationships really everything God calls them to be? Is your singleness really everything Christ calls it to be? Again, not living in perfection before even trying to witness. It's about living everyday life as a living witness for Christ. Paul said he hadn't arrived or reached perfection. But one thing he does, forget the past and press on toward the future. How about we leave behind solely focusing on the big moments to be the thing that we rely on to change our life and focus more on the daily dependence of the Holy Spirit to change us right where we are presently. The people around us need to see how Jesus can change us and help us in our everyday life. People want to know how their marriage can be whole. People want to know how to guide their homes down paths of righteousness. People want to know how to navigate tumultuous times. People want to know how to carry on after, after the death of loved ones and friends. People want to know how to live a single life without being involved sexually with others outside of marriage. People want to know how to live life not being a racist. People want to know how not to be dependent on substances. People want to know how to live life in peace and joy and fulfillment without being ruled by fear, discontentment, and anger. People want to know how to live financially sound. People want to know how to live life. That's what people are asking in this world. The way to show people how is to allow allow our life as Christians be defined by the power of the Holy Spirit. I dare not reduce the power of the Holy Spirit to our human shenanigans of labeling it 
to what we're accustomed to doing in the past, a run around the church, a loud burst of emotion in a worship conference, a hyperextension of excitement. I do think there's more to those familiar types of experiences. There's got to be more. There's got to be a heart change, a mindset change, an attitude change, a change in our actions toward others, a change in our marriages. If we still act like a blockhead to our spouse and not feel convicted, convicted about that, then we need more of the Holy Spirit. If we treat strangers at the stores and restaurants with contempt, we need more of the Holy Spirit. If we lie and we aren't convicted, we need more of the Holy Spirit. If we are sexually active outside of marriage, we need more of the Holy Spirit. If we're stuck in dependencies of alcohol, drugs, overeating, overshopping, porn, and we don't feel convicted, we need the Holy Spirit. We need Holy Spirit because there's more to life than what we are capable of making it out on our own. God has so much planned for us on this earth that the mystery to unlocking that plan is found in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when His power invades our life, we will be empowered to be witnesses for Christ from our home to our world. A daily dependence on Jesus that will spark little fires everywhere we go. We need the Holy Spirit. If you want more of the Holy Spirit, I invite you where you are, watching online, stand up if you're not driving a car. Stand right where you are if, and let's just go to the Lord. Holy Spirit, just lift your hands to God. I'm not trying to create some big magical moment right now. I just think we're at a place of the altar where we can lay ourselves down and we can humble ourselves before God. And we can ask the Holy Spirit to do a fresh work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. No, it's not planned, but can you even possibly play and sing? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I know, we didn't plan that. Sing that, sing this. Let this be our prayer.
that you are encouraged. I know I am. That was wonderful. Thank you, Jeremy.